We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another edition of Dynasty Recaps on Road of His Radio, brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. The NFL Combine is in the B-O-O-K-S. NFL Combine is in the books. And we are a Road of His podcast, which means we must break down every single bit of the NFL Combine and how it relates to your NFL rookie drafts, maybe some sprinkle of some redraft. I don't know. Basically, if you need to know about rookies, this is the show. We're going to break down some of the highs, the lows, the in-betweens of the NFL Combine. Dan, I know that you sat down and watched every single minute of the Combine. So what was your favorite part? Uh, well, I mean, anytime the wide receivers get on, on the field is probably my favorite part. The running backs not disappointing. The quarterbacks, I think, most for the most part, did what we thought and then Everything else is just kind of, you know, fodder as far as Dynasty is concerned. The tight ends were fairly monstrous as well, which I know we'll touch on a little bit later in the show. So, you know, sitting here post-combine, I think I think we're in for a deep rookie class, but I think it lacks a lot of high-end Dynasty value. Yeah, and I think that's kind of been the the gist of this class is that, you know, you have the B. John Robinson who, t- who seems like he's – in that tier of the Todd Gurley's, the Zeke Elliott, the, that type of player. But after that, there isn't a ton of like locked in dynasty assets. There's some co- con- uh, conversation about the quarterbacks and Superflex, but in terms of running back, wide receiver, tight end, there doesn't seem to be top tier talent. But there is some depth that kind of makes up for that that lack of top tier talent. Um, but we'll start off by talking about the quarterback, the the man, the myth, the legend, the the man of the hour. Uh, at the NFL Combine, and that was Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson basically set every record you could set at a, as a quarterback um, during his NFL Combine visit. And now people are wondering, you know, I think before Combine, people were like, okay, he could go like nine to the Panthers. He could go, you know, uh, five or six to the Seahawks. Um, 
now people are talking about are the are the uh, you know Texans going to take him at two or whoever trades up the first pick are they going to take him? Has Anthony Richardson with his crazy combine moved into QB one for you? I guess question for NFL and then for fantasy it, if those things two things differ. I do think that they're a little bit different. I, I think the NFL is still unfortunately stuck in the prototypical pocket passer. Now, no, there's there's exceptions to all of the rules, obviously. Uh, if you want to call them rules, but I, I still think that the NFL is is somewhat stuck in its old times where it'll still value CJ Stroud and Bryce Young over Anthony Richardson. However, as we've seen in the past, it only takes one team to fall in love with a prospect for somebody to move move something, move multiple picks, go up and get them. We saw it with San Francisco and Trey Lance. For me, Anthony Richardson is a better prospect than Trey Lance was. He has a higher floor, and he has a significantly higher ceiling, in my opinion. I think what we saw from Anthony Richardson as a senior at Florida in the SEC looks somewhat similar to what we saw out of Josh Allen playing in Wyoming in his senior season. Obviously, his junior season or, or sophomore season was the, the big one. Um, but these final years out of these guys, as they start to prepare for the NFL, you know, whether whether college football catches up with them and figures them out or they're taking it easy, if you will. Uh, but I, I do think that Anthony Richardson has the athletic ability to bring us the second coming of Cam Newton. Uh, I think he has all this almost the exact same arm talent that Cam Newton has. Uh, I think he's just a little bit shorter, but all of the athletic ability you could possibly ask for. So you put him in a situation where he's able to either flee the pocket, but still be able to throw or get him six, seven, eight, ten carries a game. You're going to see some pretty special things happen. I don't, I don't think he's as explosive in small areas like Justin Fields is. And I also don't think he's quite on the level of where Jalen Hurts has gotten to as far as a passer. But I do think he's somewhere in between. And and I think his floor is high enough because of his legs and his athletic ability that we can work on some of these shortcomings as far as being a passer is concerned. I'm not saying he's got a big, massive arm the way, you know, a lot of the, the recent guys have, like Will Levis. He's got that big arm that everybody's coveting. Uh, but I, I do think that we can we can teach, and we've seen it over time. We can teach these mediocre throwers to become, at the very least, serviceable in the NFL, and then take advantage of their athletic ability because he will have that advantage. Yeah, and I think one one common thought process to his NFL Combine weekend was we already knew he was an athletic freak. Don't like double count that. But there's a difference between he's an athletic freak. And he is the most athletically freaky quarterback to ever live. Ever. <laughs> ever. So I don't think it's double counting. I, For me, my dynasty take here is that if he's the third quarterback off the board, he's probably still the third quarterback off the board for me in, in dynasty. But I will say I will find myself hard-pressed that if he goes QB2 and Stroud goes QB3 or Young goes QB3, I'll be hard-pressed to not go Anthony Richardson QB2 or, you know, et cetera, if he goes QB1. I'll be hard pressed to pass on him just because that floor is there with that huge, you know, the huge rushing ability. My one long-term concern with Anthony Richardson, uh, 141 passing yards per game. Not good. Um, no, but I mean, not, that's what Josh Allen was doing. 
Right. Um, but looking at the road of his box score scout, who his his highest comparable is Josh Allen with a 94 comparable on the road of his uh, box score scout. And Josh Allen was doing 187.63 passing yards per game. So over against, 40... in Wyoming against the Mountain Conference or whatever. Yes, sure. But yeah, so the, the, the closest comparable is Josh Allen. There really isn't a close one. Um, once once you get below Josh Allen, you have Blaine Gabbert, Daniel Jones, Jake Locker, Christian Ponder. So obviously, you know, we, we're not going to just look at the, the the box score scout or the comparable and say, oh, bust versus not bust. But it does show, you know, his range of outcomes. His range of outcomes is he can be Josh Allen freak, Blaine Gabbert inaccurate, terrible long-term backup. Like, um, that's what I, what I see with Josh Allen is, I mean, that's what I see with Anthony Richardson is this very wide range of outcomes and we'll see what the NFL does with it. You know, I, I think that this weekend went so well for the quarterbacks and from a dynasty perspective, this court, this weekend went very well from the fact that like in Superflex, I don't see how the quarterbacks don't go two, three, four, uh, you know, and potentially Anthony Richardson one oh one if we're talking about if he goes one oh one in dynasty and maybe Bajon Robinson drops the end of the first, but the, the quarterbacks are stock up. They, they should be that two through four, you know, quote unquote tier two. And then you start looking at probably the wide receivers. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and a lot of it, as far as dynasty is concerned, I think we'll end up coming down to fit. If teams are moving up into those spots, if, if the teams that are already there are picking these players, uh, I think one interesting move that could be made if, if Lamar and the Ravens are that far apart, the Ravens moving up for someone like Anthony Richardson. I, I know that the Vikings have been in contact and and working a little bit with Anthony Richardson. I, I can't imagine a world where he's available where they pick at 23. But if if there's a move to be made where Kirk, let's say, goes to Indy and you add in 23, you move up to four. You know, unless Chicago's trading out, I, I think that gets you one of your top three. Uh, the one issue with that is you might be left with Will Levis, and nobody wants that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as your the proposed uh, Vikings thought, I do wonder, is the Kirk Cousins contract a net positive? Uh, or is it a net positive enough to move up 20 spots? Like, basically, by saying that, you think that Kirk Cousins is worth like a first and a half. And I'm not sure he is with with that, you know, NFL contract. But that, that's that's a different discussion from an NFL perspective. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of teams that can trade up. I, I'm definitely interested to see how when this happens in terms of because one, once the Bears trade happens, I think then you see, um, you know, uh, the Seahawks possibly trade down now that they've re-signed Geno. And I know some people are talking about oh they re-signed Geno, but they can still draft a, a quarterback top five. But I think it's much more likely that Pete Carroll at his age. He's not looking for five, six years down the road. He He's looking at how can I build the best possible team around Geno because that's probably what's in his best interest. And so I think that, you know, they could definitely get a haul of picks and, and build a nice team around Geno if they go down from five to 12 or five to 20 or, or wherever it is. Um, all right, let's move on from Anthony Richardson. We'll talk about the tight ends. Um, tight ends tested very well. Um, the, the two – Testing stars were Darnell Washington, the tight end from Georgia. He played opposite of Brock Bowers and Zach Kuntz, who uh, went to Old Dominion. But uh, stop me if you've heard this before. Um, Zach Kuntz once played at Penn State. So uh, a Penn State player <laughs> breaks the combine. Have you ever heard that before, Dan? Just a few times. And, and I think one of the last big ones that we 
probably both remember was Mike Gusecki. Uh I, I mean, 6'7", 250, and, and doing the things that he does. Darnell Washington, 6'7", 270. Uh, I mean, these guys are absolute monsters. And tight end, it's becoming, again, more prominent in the league. However, we've we've struggled to find real fantasy value outside of your top couple, outside of your Kelsey's, your Andrews when healthy, your Kittle when healthy. They're, they're, they play so big and so recklessly that it's it's difficult to stay on the field. It's difficult to get 16, 17 games out of these guys. But because of the way fantasy is built, they're a necessity in most places. So this has a, a, a real chance to be one of our better tight end classes. I think still led by Michael Mayer. However, I do think there's a case to be made for Darnell Washington. I also think yeah, Dalton, I- Dalton Kincaid is right there. I, I think I think Mayer lost tight end one. I think it's most likely to Darnell Washington. Uh, but I, I think that like Mayer had a fine combine. He didn't show like he's not an athletic freak. He's a very good type. Like, you know, he can be like a Jason Witten type or a Kyle Rudolph type, like a guy who's not gonna be anything crazy athletically, but guess what? It's gonna be a damn good tight end. Yeah, but poor a poor man's type Zach Ertz, where he's he's not gonna break away from defenders. He's probably gonna get hit and go down, but He's going to give you everything you need to have on the field. I I think there's decent depth, and I think there's a lot of upside. The you know as you move down this list to talk about Darnell Washington, I think I have him as tight end one. I think Luke Musgrave is another name that's solid, and I think one that I'll probably you know dare I say drafting a tight end because I don't do it very often. But I think that Sam Laporta from Iowa is one, and Zach Kuntz as well, who I'll be moving up just because of of what they bring to the table. Now, with that said, I think there's probably seven guys that could have some kind of fantasy value here. And I I don't remember a year where that is even remotely true. Yeah, and looking at uh, Darnell Washington's uh, Road of His Box Score Scout, projecting him as a 32nd pick. So I think he's a late first, early second. Not a lot of close comparables, but Cole Komet, Drew Sample, Brandon Pettigrew, Hayden Hurst, kind of seeing as like those like gigantic guys that probably didn't see a lot of production in college because Darnell Washington was playing opposite of Brock Bowers for two years and Brock Bowers may be, you know, the best, he's definitely the best tight end prospect since Kyle Pitts. He may be the best tight end prospect like ever, but by, by the time, you know, things are all said and done. So it's hard, it's hard to judge the production profile of a tight end two in the SEC. Like, Tight ends are not productive in college, much less second tight ends. So, you know, Darnell Washington, definitely the type of player that's going to have a more productive NFL career than he has a college career. And then Zach Kuntz, uh, he's a guy who he, currently on road of his, he's listed as a wide receiver, so that will be fixed soon. But his his wide receiver comparables, if we project him to be a, a second round pick, are Chase Claypool, another guy who was like a fringe like tight end wide receiver type, Michael Pittman Jr., Ty, Ty Montgomery, who was a flex guy, um, so some interesting comparables with Zach Koontz as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you in terms of load me up with the, if any of these guys start to fall into the third round. And in terms of dynasty rookie drafts and they end up going on day two of the NFL draft, I'm going to end up with several tight ends. And I, I do it every year. Um, and sometimes it works out and sometimes I end up wasting a roster spot. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely excited about this tight end class. Another player who I, I think everyone or most people have been excited about for years is one Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, he, you know, had the rough season with injuries in 2022, uh, 
And that did limit him a little bit of the combine, did not run a 40-yard dash. But looking at his shuttle and three-cone time, by the way, you can check out on Rotoviz. We have a pair of articles. Blair Andrews did a wide receiver winners and losers article. And Bjorn Varnett did a running backs winners and losers article. He was uh, labeled as a winner in the Blair article, Jackson Smith and Jigba, because he had a 99, 99th percentile shuttle with a 3.93 and a 97th percentile uh, three cone at 6.57. Um, so where are you at with, with Smith and Jigba? Does he have a chance to be the wide receiver one or what is that looking like right now? Well, I, I think he very clearly is the wide receiver one. I know that there was some shade thrown at the fact that he did not run a 40, but you've got to remember he's coming off of a couple of significant injuries. Uh, the long speed maybe isn't quite there yet. We hope by September uh, that that's different and, and everything kind of has returned to form. Uh, the one thing I never really got, never really understood were, were all of the Jarvis Landry comparables. I mean, I, I like that because I loved Jarvis Landry from a, he's like the safest possible player ever, but the the comparisons were drawn because people saw a lack of athletic ability for whatever reason He's one of the smoothest, cleanest wide receivers I think I've seen when looking at guys in the in the past. Obviously, there's some elite names up there, but I mean he's he's great in short areas. You're not stuffing him off the line, regardless of how small you might have thought he, that he was. He comes in in play weight like 40 pounds, 30 pounds heavier than Jordan Addison, and he I think he can do significantly more on the field. Now, I, I understand the upside about the Jordan Addisons. We'll talk about him later. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba has put himself as the wide receiver one in this class. I think the only person that could push him the way that we saw Kevin White pushing the, you know, the top of the wide receiver class in his year is Quentin Johnston. I'm not sold on Quentin Johnston. I think he'll be an okay red zone type threat. I just don't see the consistency from him. Um, but JSN is is my guy. He's my choice. I, I I think he's great all over the field. You put him as that that's almost speed slot, even though people seem to think he's slow. You put him as speed slot. He can fit in just about anywhere in the league. And whether he plays as a one or a two, I, I don't think that really matters. I think he's got good enough size. And his wide his physical wide receiver traits are better than everybody's in the class. So I think that alone sets him apart. Yeah, and I, I don't think either of us are huge like tape guys, and I know you watch a little bit more than I do. Uh, but I think that Jackson Smith and Jigba is likely going to end up being the case of like you just got to watch football. Like that's very Smith, true. Smith and Jigba is very good at it. Like obviously, you know, outliers, specific games or whatever. When you look at the the twenty twenty two Rose Bowl like it's one of like the best wide receiver games anyone has ever played ever um and like I said very small sample size there but when Smith and Jigba was on and he was competing with a bunch of first round top 12 NFL draft picks and he was outplaying all of them um so you know oftentimes we we kind of uh, rag on Alabama wide receivers because like they they're splitting the market share and all those things Jackson Smith and Jigba was dominating uh Garrett Wilson was dominating uh, James Chris, Williams, like Chris Olave, Chris Olave, like all these guys that are going to end up being like top 15 NFL wide receivers. He was in front of all of them. So uh, I, I don't understand why anyone would, would hate on him. Uh, looking at uh, his Rotovis box score scout, 
doesn't have a lot of close comparables. I put him at draft pick 18 and I projected a four, five, five, 40 for him. Um, and his comparables there are, are George Pickens at 21 out of hundred, Jerry Judy, 12 out of hundred and Percy Harvin, 11 out of hundred. I do think that he's probably a little bit more explosive than, than those guys. Well, Percy, um, you got to remember Percy Harvin was one of, one of the more explosive guys we'd ever seen played wide receiver, like a running back. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if Percy didn't have the, you know, that, that migraines and whatnot, the off the field stuff he could have been one of the greats and, and he didn't have the size that JSN has. I, I think that's actually a really fun comparison, but I think that JSN brings so much more wide receiver to that, but I, I still see so much of that. And going back to our friend Blair's article, Bryce Ford Wheaton, another one of the, the combine winners, um, Bryce Ford Wheaton had a 90th percentile 40 yard dash 95th percentile vertical 80th percentile broad jump, 77th percentile shuttle. So above, you know, above 77% in four major categories for the wide receiver position. Uh, I know that you, you aren't, uh, you know, c- c- hugely aware of Ford Wheaton at the moment, <laughs> but do, do these scores uh, help uh, lure you into possibly him being a third round and a third round rookie draft pick and potentially a day two NFL draft pick? Well, see, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting, right? Because, He's a he's a redshirt senior, if I recall correctly. Yeah, putting him out of West Virginia. Putting him at twenty three or twenty four. Twenty three, I think. Yeah, probably. Um, I, I love I love the size. Uh, you know, the the numbers are great. We love that these guys are breaking are breaking combine barriers, if you will. Um, but there's a reason he's a redshirt senior, whether that be injury or ability. Uh, coming out of West Virginia, we've seen some things pan out from from that end of the of the space. I, I guess um, I, I think at at best we're looking at a red zone threat here, who has some some deep uh, some deep threat ability as well. Um, your great upside is like a poor man's Alshon Jeffrey with speed. I, I think. Um, you know, again, kind of getting that Kevin White type vibe where it's a late surge from a big body that can run fast and I think excels a little bit in 50-50 balls. So I, w- I would like to see more. I hope he gets a decent landing spot. As of right now, I, I think he's just kind of a late sleeper. I-, I don't really think we should be moving him up boards a ton just because of combine numbers, uh, but they definitely help put him on the radar. So he's he's probably going to end up being like wide receiver 15 or 16 in a in a deep but mediocre class i think he puts himself in the mix with what he did at the combine all right let's get into our second half of the show but before we do that i want to hear about ourselves roto viz so you're gonna hear us talking about the box score scout the fantasy point summary those are some of our favorite apps and you got to get involved to get your favorite apps with Rotoviz RV Radio 2023, it's a 10% discount and supports the pod. So if you want to get involved with all the apps and tools that we're, we're talking about, get your dynasty game, get your rookie game up. Now is the time to do it. So get your uh, your subscription 10% off RV Radio 2023. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, one of the bigger disappointments uh, uh, for me, and I think for almost everybody, was one Jordan Addison. He came in a lot smaller than than many were anticipating, and that likely is going to have negative indications on his uh, draft stock. Was an early breakout, so some of the production metrics are going to be good, but how much is the the, the size and the lack of, of wowing numbers going to concern you as a dynasty player? Addison again. I mean, I get, I get the praise. I, I get what he did pre-transfer. The issue for me is doing it against what is still mediocre competition in Pac-12, but not, it not translating from ACC, who he should have been beating up on, which he did at Pitt. One of the more sought-after guys had a great freshman season. Went sixty for six sixty-six and four. So, you know, a little bit underwhelming as far as yards after catch, yards per reception, whatever. But then sophomore year at Pitt still puts on a monstrous display, again, against the ACC. So we're not talking about the SEC or the Big Ten or whatever. And then transfers to the Pac-12, who has arguably worse talent defensively and upgrades significantly at quarterback, significantly offensive minds. And you could argue he was the third best wide receiver on the team, Nathan. I, I don't I don't love that he regressed. And I, I don't even think he looked as good. If you look at his tape from 2020 when he was catching baby passes at Pitt to 2021 where he excelled and looked great, I, I thought he looked worse this year at USC than he did in his previous two years at Pitt. Yeah, and for me... I, like, like I said, huge early production type guy. So I, I still like Addison a bit, but I do think that his undersized weigh-in is going to cost him some some draft capital. And he'll end up being, you know, at best an early second rounder, I think more likely a, a mid to late second rounder. And that's going to cause me to to be more off of them, more off of him than I was expecting. So yeah, I, the thing is that the stock is down, but there's going to still be a part of me that's going to be grabbing shares 
especially if he ends up dropping to the, like the late first, early second rookie drafts, just because we had that early production at Pitt. Um, so I still like him as a player, but I do think I'll, I'll put it this way. I think the, the ceiling is still relatively similar. It's probably like NFL, like high end wide receiver two, dynasty wide receiver two. It's that the, right now the floor is probably wide receiver four on both ends. Or you know, wide receiver four NFL, like wide receiver eight fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I think because of his, uh, of you know, being a he was a five star, right? I mean, he he was he was that guy coming out of high school. My my biggest issue, like you mentioned, is size. He gained weight and weighed in at one seventy three. That means he was probably playing in the one fifties at USC and Pitt. That is not going to get it done, especially not being fast enough to break four fours or even four four five or four four eight. What did he bring a four four nine something like that? I don't I don't see a world where he is the guy. I do think he is a role player type, but he doesn't have the speed to be a Tavon Austin. Uh, I, I don't you know, I've, I've heard comparables of like Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett ran like a, tw- a, a tenth of a second faster or whatever in, in the 40. He ran like a, a four four flat. Edison came in at four, four, five, essentially. I, I can't, I can't really draw those comparisons. I get that it's not, it's not a huge number and a huge difference, but th- this guy, this size should be absolutely blowing players away, especially because he doesn't have any elite traits. He's smooth. He's nice. I get it. He's going to get destroyed off the line because he doesn't have the short area quickness to give away like JSN has. And these corners are only getting bigger and faster. He's not going to outrun anybody. He's not going to blow past anybody. And because of his size, he can't move anybody off the line. He's he's smaller than all the corners in the NFL. I don't understand how we think he's just he's going to smooth his way away from it. You're going to have to play him off of the line, potentially out of the backfield to get him in space and get him the opportunity. Once you get him going and he can run his routes, sure, he's good and excels in that area. I don't I don't have, you know, this isn't Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith had elite wide receiver traits and his only concern was his size. And he proved that that was different. We have good wide receiver traits, very smooth, but you know, everything else is bad. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our next player. Um, Dan, you and I, you know, we we've played, played dynasty a long time. We, we consider ourselves analysts. We consider ourselves knowledgeable in the sphere. Um, but I, I will say occasionally we're just like, there are some people that are smarter than us, right? Like uh, occasionally Sean Siegel's one of those guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, we can agree on that one. <laughs> uh, and so when Sean Siegel tells me to do something 99% of the time, I'm going to do it. Uh, and Sean Siegel is a big Marvin Mims fan and Marvin Mims had himself a solid combine weekend. Um, looking at his uh, box score scout met- metrics based on or projecting him at, at the 60th overall pick. If he's the 60th overall pick, his comparables are Diami Brown, Kiki Kuti, uh, DJ Chark, Randall Cobb, um, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore. So probably not the, the 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 most stellar list of comparables, but that does put him squarely among you know guys that are relatively day two picks. So pretty much all those guys were, were considered high upside prospects at some point. So what are, what's your thoughts on Marvin Mims right now? You know, I've actually liked Marvin Mims for a while. He was in in uh, Debbie leagues was a target of mine 
Loved going into the the Oklahoma offense. I thought he would have a, a chance to excel. I would have loved to see a little bit more out of him as far as number of targets and number of catches. But I, I know that he wasn't always 100% or always you know staying on the field. So only having you know 70 catches or so coming into his junior season, you know I, I was a little bit worried he was just being you know pushed to the wayside and and not being taken as a, a serious threat here but coming back with over 50 catches for over a thousand yards i'm not great at math nathan but that usually equates to 20 plus yards per catch uh the touchdowns weren't really there but oklahoma fell off hard when lincoln riley left so i I still think that he can bring something to the table at his value that is going to more closely relate to what we just talked about in a tyler lockett type I think I think that is more the role. He's a four three eight guy. He isn't big. He's bigger than Jordan Addison, which you, <laughs> we could probably talk about with most of these guys. So I I just I see I see more here for what people wanted to see with Jordan Addison. I still think Jordan Addison's a better wide receiver than Marvin Mims, but I think Mims brings that potential top off the defense to the you know to a team. I think he he has that short area quickness and speed where he'll be able to kind of you can line him up wherever you really want to line him up. But he's explosive too. He had a forty inch vertical. That's big time. Uh, so I, I'm happy with the way that Mims tested. I liked him as a prospect. I wish he would have been a little bit more, but showing his explosiveness and and doing so in a you know a fairly decent conference, uh, still not the SEC, which is always our comparable conference in the big 10 as well but uh, i think mims is going to be potentially one of those sleeper picks and i know sean likes him so if if i can't reassure you that marvin mims has potential dynasty value let sean do that because he is smart i'm dumb but i saw this guy and i kind of liked him so now i'm feeling better about myself because of sean there we go all right, let's go to Chase Brown. This guy's an interesting one because he is a he was a fifth year senior. Uh, some people co- probably c- compared him to a compiler, uh, six hundred yards in his fifth year senior year, but only five yards per carry. Um, did have twenty seven catches, which is pretty impressive for uh, you know a college guy who was getting the bulk of the work. Um, but the takeaway from the combine weekend was he actually had a, a big one that he's not just a compiler; he is an impressive athlete. 87th percentile 40 yard dash at 443, broad jump at 92nd percentile, and vertical at 94th percentile. Um, is 23 years old, but we've seen the David Johnsons of the past. We've seen some older running backs have success in the NFL. So, does Chase Brown's exp- impressive com- combine, combine make up for his five years in college? Well, I mean, he, his comparables are players that I won at one time loved i mean your your david wilson's your amir abdullah's rashad penny um i mean there's there's a lot to like i still think he is going to be a fairly late round pick again he's a little bit older that you know you lose some points there coming out of illinois where you know uh, that um that kind of is what it is i suppose i, I don't want to knock playing uh you know, because he went to Western Michigan and the transferred, right? Yep. Okay, that's what I thought I remembered him from. So, you know, playing there, not doing a lot there, 
transferring to Illinois for a full four years after the redshirt sophomore. Um, you know, I, I think what we saw from him over the last two years is that he can kind of be a grinder type guy. I'd love to see him get a little bit more involved in the passing game, but what we saw between the tackles is is reminiscent of, you know, like a Doug Martin uh, type guy. I think I think he can be that guy. Do I think he's long for the NFL? Probably not, but you hear us talk about it a lot for those listening that running back is like a three-year to five-year type window, and I think Chase Brown could, could be in a committee for three to five years. Do I think he's got a lot of upside beyond that? No. Do I think he even makes it five years? Probably not. But I do think that there is legitimate dynasty value here for a short window because he is a touch older. He's probably not going to get a big second contract where he's getting, you know, a lot of touches. But I think early on on that rookie contract, he can find some grinder type work as a two down potentially, you know, workhorse type. Now, whether we find that in the sixth or fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, it's unlikely, but we see it. You know, look at someone like Damian Pierce, uh, who just, you know, people liked him, but he just wound up being the workhorse for Houston. All right, let's move on to our last player for discussion today is going to be Kayshawn Butte, a former top-ranked Debbie player uh, that kind of fizzled out from a production standpoint in his last couple of seasons in college football he actually was planning to come back but then it seemed like he had some some off the field issues or some academic issues that were like lsu was like well if you come back here you're not playing he's okay i'm gonna go to the nfl <laughs> um so Keishon butte had an unimpressive combine um 50, 55th percentile 40 yard dash 55th percentile shuttle um but the bad is the, the broad and the vert uh the broad is 23rd percentile and dan it's hard to get much worse than a 29 inch uh vertical jump which is a First percentile for Keishon Butte. Uh, to my own horn for ones, I jumped like six inches higher than that in high school. Uh, <laughs> so that that was it was a little bit surprising. I I, I would have guessed he was more explosive, uh, but I mean the the long speed with the forty doesn't really shock me. I guess a ton. So maybe that translates a little bit into the explosiveness. But yeah, this is a bummer for me. I thought Butte was going to be a guy that moved up boards rather than moved down or off of them. It, you know, another Debbie guy that I think we probably both rostered in a place or two. Uh, this, this class was supposed to be special at one point in time. And it turns out that it's really only one of these, one or two of these guys is going to pan out. Hopefully more. Hopefully we, we get, uh, we're wrong about a couple of them, but yeah, I, I think unfortunately this is probably one that, that we maybe just steer clear from unless we're getting him in late rounds, which it sounds like that might be the case. Yeah. I, I think that, that, that Butte is a player that can definitely see a draft day fall and it's going to, you know, lead to this. What's going to actually lead to is that the person who drafts Keishon Butte in the mid second, late second year, year rookie drafts is going to be the guy that was in love with him as an 18 year old. Uh, you know, Debbie players are going to have a lot of shares of, of Keishon Butte on rookie teams that are non non Devi leagues. So yeah, definitely unfortunate for Keishon Butte. Um, not good combine performance. Maybe pro, maybe the pro day will look better. Maybe his draft stock will somehow rebound, um, but not looking good from a nice perspective from him. 
Before we head out for today, Dan, there has been some breaking-ish news while we've been on the call. Um, Lamar Jackson, uh, the Ravens have placed the non-exclusive franchise tag on Lamar Jackson, which means any team can make an offer, and if uh, the Ravens do not match, they receive two first-round picks. Uh, reports are the Falcons are not interested, which is surprising. Um, do you have any favorites for a landing spot for Lamar, or do you think that this is just posturing and the Ravens will match whatever is offered? No, I, I think I think there's a reasonable chance that they don't match and they take these picks in hopes of finding a, another quarterback that doesn't want $50 million annually, which is what it is. Um, I, I know that there was some joking about the Washington bit. I, I do think that Washington is up there as far as teams that uh, would consider. I still think Atlanta is a genuine option. Um, he makes he makes sense there. I, I would hope that, or I think Baltimore is probably hoping that it's an NFC team that that does in fact come in, and and a couple of those teams would make sense. Obviously, with uh, Derek Carr going to the Saints, that eliminates them. But I do think that Lamar was probably a favorite there. The one thing, the one team that that might make sense if if he's willing to kind of work his way through a rebuild. It's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You get to Blaine Warmth. You have Chris Godwin. I would imagine they're moving on from Mike Evans because of the contract and his age and probably just looking to win. But that's a team that has kind of got to start over now. So that that one, to me, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I think that if he's leaving the Ravens, it only makes sense to go to the NFC, get away from all the elite quarterbacks of Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. Um, and so that really leaves, you know, the Panthers, the Buccaneers, the Commanders, maybe the Giants if they if they let um, Daniel Jones walk. Like, I think that the most sensible suitors are in the NFC, and I think that's where Lamar will end up going if he ends up leaving Baltimore. I and I I I know that my general rule, my general rule on this podcast, and when looking at the NFL, when the question is, will an NFL trade slash transaction happen or not, I lean toward it not happening. Therefore, I think it's more more likely than not that that the, the the Ravens match, but it may actually end up depending on. And I'm not 100 sure how the first round picks work, but like it may actually depend on how high the team picking makes the offer. So like if if a team has like a top 12 pick and they make the offer, I think that's much more likely to be accepted. Or you know, actually, in the Ravens thing declined in terms of the Ravens saying, nope, you can have the player and we'll take the two first round picks. Whereas with the Bucks, they have the 19th pick. And I'd assume if if the Buc if Lamar went to the Bucks, they would have a you know 19 to 32 ish pick. I don't care how much you're paying Lamar Jackson. I will give you two, <laughs> two I'll give you two years of of the 19th overall pick and run to the bank. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's very, very possible right now. I think if you know Indy gets itself in that race, I think that pick and a future pick could be very, very attractive. And I think that one could be very attractive for both sides, even though it does keep Lamar in the AFC. Um, like I said, I still think Washington is is you know they've got to be one of the favorites. I, I think Carolina is a big one. I think the NFC South, and now that Derek Carr is is it's going to have uh, they're going to have a lot of new faces to you know to to introduce so uh yeah and, I, I would... and by the way and you talked about lamar to, to evans and godwin 
Lamar to DJ Moore would like have me hot and bothered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's it's going to come down to probably three or four NFC teams when it's all said and done. But I do think that you know uh, unless this number is massive, and even though it is a non-exclusive, if nobody offers, he's not playing on a franchise tag. He's not. He will sit. Yeah, I, I'd imagine that's probably. The, I mean, the, the the best evidence to that, and obviously you can you posture back and forth, but the best evidence to that is he didn't play at the end of the season. Like, yeah, he it, won't play. I I, I I'm like ninety eight percent sure that he will sit if he if he has to play on a franchise tag. Now that would take a lot of work for him to get to a point where nobody offers and they can't figure out with Baltimore. But there is a world if somebody's thinking, hey, I don't want to pay this guy three hundred million dollars and give up two first round picks and we don't a hundred percent know what we're getting or if he fits or if it makes sense, whatever. So, you know, there's a very, very, very small chance that nobody offers, but I think we see, I think it's about a 50, 50 shot where we see Lamar moving. Alrighty. That should wrap us up for this week. Um, with I actually can, can anyone offer the non-exclusive franchise tag now or they have to wait for free and see you think? That I don't know. I, I think they have to wait for. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be tampering. Uh, but what I was going to say was, I'm sure by next week uh, this will all be solved. But anyways, free agency is about a week away. Uh, so get your twitters tuned in to your shifters and whatnot. And uh, any last words, Dan? Off season is our season. No days off. Get in there. Send trade offers. Keep your eye on the news. And remember, you should be reacting. Just don't overreact or underreact. React. That should do it for this week. We'll talk to you guys next week. Hello.